We are back for another edition of Terry's Talking, the Cleveland.com podcast with your host, David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com. And as always, award-winning sports columnist, Terry Pluto from Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer. Terry, we have survived another NFL draft weekend. How did it go for you? Well, the draft is usually a challenge for me anyway, because I don't watch a ton of college football and that. And so when you have like a, like a couple of years ago, remember left tackles, you were able to put a circle around three or four names, look at them, call people. I know a lot more, a lot left tackles and tackles than I do and see whether it's uh, you know, which guy you should take. And of course, quarterbacks are always fun to write about, uh, but this was hard. And on top of it, uh, they trade out of the second into the third round, which, you know, my uh, first thought was, I don't care what analytics you're looking at. I'd rather draft 44 than 68. But I did try to do some work on, okay, why did they do this? You care to bite? I do. Okay. Your thoughts. Why did they do this? And I'll, I'll tell you what I was told. Well, so what, Terry, it was the first time since I think 2008 that they didn't have a first or second rounder. And yes. if I remember, um, that, that was a, the Brady. No, that was that. No, the Brady? I, I, I was there for that. If you really want to know, it's the Bo Bell draft. You should have oh, been there. Okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Both All right. Them. What happened was the year before they had traded um, their first round pick for Brady Quinn in the seven draft, 07 draft. So that was gone. Then remember they had the big year in 07. They went 10 and six. Randy Warner now has Super Bowl fever. And so he's pushing Phil, uh, uh, Phil Savage to make these big trades. We got to get better now. The defensive line was terrible. So they traded a second round pick. Uh, for Sean Rogers, I think from Detroit, a huge guy. And then a third round pick for a guy named Williams, whose first name escapes me from Green Bay, both are defensive linemen. So, um, and then the fourth round came around and they took the great Bo Bell. So there you are, who I think played five games and had three tackles. That was, that was their draft. I, there might've been some picks after that, but uh, so this was the first thing since that, but it wasn't that bad where you were out of the first three rounds. Yeah, so the Browns did end up with, after trading down three third-rounders, two fourth-rounders, a fifth, a sixth, and two sevenths. So I, I can run through it real fast, Terry, just to recap for people. So in the third, they got Martin Emerson, defensive back from Mississippi State, Alex Wright, defensive end from UAB, and David Bell, receiver from Purdue, that a lot of people uh, like for his route running and his hands. Let's go around at a time, David. That'll be All right. easier. So let's okay. talk about the third round first. Martin Emerson, Alex Wright, uh-huh. and David Bell. Well, in the second round, the players they kind of liked. Well, I guess there were a couple of guys I was told that were taken late first or whatever that they wanted, a couple of receivers. So I'm not sure which ones they were, but that was it. The second round where they kind of had a circle around some players they liked, the problem was that was a – remember, there I think were four guys in that second round that had either ACL knee surgery or a torn Achilles. And a couple of those guys they really like, like the kid that uh, uh, from Alabama, Michi, uh, Mechie, am I, am I John saying? John Mechie, the receiver. Mechie. Yep. Yeah. The Browns liked him, but they just looked at that knee thing and thought, do we really want to do this? And Houston, you know, who's just piling up picks and everything else, it was on the phone, really wanted to get it. So they made the deal. They figured, because we have a whole bunch of guys that we consider late seconds, third, fourth, right in that area that we'd like to just kind of go the Mr. Big Volume approach. So that's why they made the trade. Uh, the couple of guys they liked in late first, 
went late first. And then uh, who went right behind? Baltimore took him, a defensive end, uh, 45. So Val, not a volley. I can't think of his name. Um, uh, that was another player they like, but he's coming off an Achilles. And it just was hard. Remember, they are, they're not saying it, but you don't trade for Deshaun Watson and Adam Ari Cooper and all this to take players and key spots who are hurt. You want guys that can play right away. Well, and the other thing about this draft, Terry, is we we know how flat this draft was and that there was not much difference between second, third, and fourth rounders. And the Browns, the Browns were pretty smart about it. I think next year's draft, which is going to be loaded, a second rounder next year is going to be a much better player than a lot of the second rounders we saw taken this year. And I think the Browns were banking on that. And like you talked about, if you've got a very even draft, take a lot of guys and maybe you'll hit on a couple. So um, now they had a they had a low second round grade on Emerson, I was told. So they jumped on him. Uh, they really do believe they they don't use the same analogy I do that cornerbacks are like uh, pitchers. You can never have enough. They get hurt a lot. But uh, a lot of NFL internal stats have shown that the most injury prone position is defensive backfield. Those guys are always getting hurt. And remember, finally, Stefanski did say he could never have enough defensive backs, especially cornerbacks. So they liked him six foot two, athletic, um, good guy, all that. So they grabbed him. And it was funny when I called Joe Moorhead, who was the new coach at Akron. He's the coach that recruited um, Martin Emerson to go to uh, Mississippi State because that's when Joe was coaching there. And I said, what was your first thought? He goes, I said, oh, no. I'm like, Joe, what's going on here? He goes, well, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I was a Steelers fan. He said, I, I coached at Pitt. He goes, this kid's really good. Now my team's got to face him twice a year. I mean, and so that was, it was, it made for a funny story, but um, he just kept saying, he goes, this kid's really good and you'll like him. So to me, that was like, you always need cornerbacks. I don't care how many you have. And the fact is Denzel Ward misses four games a year. Um, Newsom had an injury history at Northwestern and he missed a couple of games, I believe, with a concussion. You know, Grady, Grady Williams, it's always a little scary with him, even though he did play all last year. So I think that's why they, they grabbed that guy and they had, they had a higher grade on him. Yeah, and just to, that Moorhead column that you wrote, it's one of the most popular reads on yeah. our website this week. And it, it was, it, it, there's a good quote here from Joe Moorhead. He says, It didn't take long for me to realize he was going to play on Sundays. He's six foot two. He's athletic and long. He can play in press coverage or off coverage. That length is really going to help him in the NFL. So uh, Joe Moorhead's a big fan. And one of the interesting storylines that we're going to have to watch, Terry, and Scott Patsko, our colleague, has been writing about this when the Browns traded Hill. He was, quote, their slot corner. Mm -hmm. And all the guys that they have right now have not played a lot of slot corner. I, Scott did a total of all the snaps that, that mm -hmm. the various cornerbacks they have have played in the slot. And there's not a lot. So I don't know if they're thinking about maybe putting Emerson outside and Newsom inside or how that's all going to shake up. But that's something they're going to have to solve pretty quickly here, I think. Greedy could be inside also. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, yeah, so looking, it's all a matter of right. reps and uh, reps and, and getting time in there. And, and we'll see I mean, pretty they, early on. All right, for the baseball analogy, it's kind of like, is it harder to cover inside or outside? Generally, it's harder to cover outside. Is it, is it harder to start or relieve? So you have a guy who's a starting pitcher. You probably could put him in the bullpen and get something out of him. And I think that's their feeling as opposed to taking a guy who's primarily a slot receiver, uh, slot coverage guy, and ha ask him to be out there by himself on the island, as they say.
By the way, how did you feel about Troy Hill's insulted because they only got a fifth rounder for him? Or what, what was that? Yeah, it's everybody feels insulted about everything these days whenever yeah. they get moved or not. I mean, Baker's insulted, Hill's insulted, everybody's insulted. I mean, if the market says you're worth a fifth round pick, you're worth a fifth round pick. I mean, there's there's nothing the Browns could do about that. And Believe lot, me, they'd rather a lot of, have gotten a third. <laughs> and there, I would say it's you see this more often than not. Teams have their entire roster valued at any yeah. given time. And they say, all right, everybody on our roster, this guy's worth a first. This guy's worth a third. This guy's worth a fifth. They know what these guys are worth based on how old they are and what experience they have and how, what kind of production they've had. So that's what they were able to get. I mean, if they would have been able to get a third, they would have taken it. Yeah, but they could. So, but it wasn't Amari Cooper, also a fifth round pick. So, you know, with yeah. him, there was some interest. There's some things salary, salary, yeah. but Hill's salary is a little high, also for uh, basically a slot clock corner buy. But um, anyway, that I was just amused. Yeah. All right, Terry, let's go on to the fourth round. Perry and Winfrey. Oh, a couple other guys in the third, uh, just to bring up. Oh yeah, uh, you want to talk about Wright yeah. and Bell real quick? Go ahead. Yeah, uh, Wright is. Um, they love his athleticism and that, but this is going to take some time with this guy. They think he can play some inside too, but um, those who think that he's just a plug and play guy are probably wrong. Um, that's it's not going to be that way. But the opposite is Bell. They figure Bell is pretty close to a finished product, and you're going to get a guy that hopefully is like a a more consistent, little higher level Richard Higgins. That's what they think they got. He's big. He's got good hands. He run good routes. Uh, they don't particularly care that he um, ran a four, six, four, because remember you draft in the late third round. Um, and they just figure this is the guy that can help right away. Like they think Emerson can help right away, you know, play a lot, start if needed. Well, and, and David Bell, they've got a guy that can catch, but they probably need to work on his speed a little bit. And then in uh, Schwartz, they've got a guy who's got speed but can't catch. So they're probably right. and, be working with and, both of those guys. And if guys you line them up to me, the two bios, I would rather – I don't care if he's got Olympic uh, caliber speed if he doesn't catch the ball. So now, you know, you have to have a certain amount of speed. My goodness, though, he's a Big Ten receiver of the year. He caught 96 balls. He's got – he's had big games against the big teams. I mean, and the focus it's not of a the guy out there defense. with a, yeah, he, right. He doesn't, he's running around with a refrigerator snapped on his back. I mean, please. All right, Terry, let's move into round four. Then we got Perry and Winfrey, who was a defensive tackle from Oklahoma and Cade York. They got your kicker or maybe yep. they didn't. Well, I guess we could talk about Cade York kicker from LSU. He was the top kicker on the board and the Browns went for him in the fourth round with the 124th overall pick. So uh, what, what order do you want to do these guys in? Well, Win, well, Winfrey, just real quick. I mean, a lot of people had a late second round grade on him. I heard the Browns had a third um, defensive tackle. Uh, he was playing in that uh, three-man front. He'll be in a four-man front. The Browns think he'll be better there. And he had a great press conference. You got to like that. Oh, and if you, okay. for, for people listening, who if you haven't seen this yet, Perry and Winfrey, when he did his Zoom call with Browns beat reporters, was wearing, I guess it was a dog shirt. It had a bunch yeah. of dog heads on it. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't a Browns thing. I mean, he, he basically spent the whole press conference talking about how he's a dog, how he's had to fight for everything yeah. he's ever gotten, how his parents are dogs, and now he's a dog. And uh, go check it out on, on cleveland.com if you get a chance. It was probably the best conference press conference by a draft pick that I've ever seen that the Browns have had on. So uh, really energetic. And I think the Browns fans are going to love this guy. So, all right, Terry, kicker, Cade York. 
All right, the best been, kicker been, in the draft. Banging I don't... the table for a kicker for yes. months for the Browns. Do they have one? Well, we'll find out because you don't know for sure until they get here and they kick. But at least he was, you know, he's he's 15 for 19 from 50 yards out. You could say it's warmer weather in the SEC, and that's true. But also, uh, it is the highest caliber ball you play. And uh, that's, by the way, Emerson played in the SEC. That was the other thing Joe Moorhead said. He goes, the guy's been covering NFL receivers for a couple of years now. Because you look at most of the guys he covered, a lot of them end up in the NFL. Um, yes, bring him in here. Let's find out if he can kick. I would have preferred – I always prefer a veteran kicker to a rookie, but I would prefer Cabe York to just some cast-off veteran that's been with four different teams. Um, and uh, my – you know, why not? He certainly has a strong enough leg. They have this great video of him kicking the ball through the fog, 57 yards to beat Florida. Uh, bring him in. I did not want to bring him. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, Terry, aside from the numbers and the long field goals he's able to make, I think the Browns really liked his mental makeup in yeah. terms of being tough and, mm-hmm. you know, ki- kicking in fog. And, and you've talked about this before, just in terms of Phil Dawson talking about how crazy it is to kick in, in down on the lakefront and dealing with the elements. And they wanted someone who's kind of mentally tough and can deal with all that stuff. And they think they got him in Cade York. So, I mean, when you play at places like LSU or Alabama or whatever, it is like playing pro football. It really is in terms of the pressure on you, all that stuff. So they're used to that. You know, you're not getting, at least you're not supposed to be getting paid um, unless you have your own autograph pictures or whatever you're selling these days. So, Hey, nobody else was even close to second in terms of kickers. So that I'd rather have them quote unquote draft the guy too high and actually have a kicker for the next three or four years or more than once again, say, Oh, I waited to the fifth round. Cause they actually like McPherson last year, I was told, but they were going to take him sixth or seventh round and the Bengals took him. And the rest is history. So, yeah. All right, fifth round, Jerome Ford, running back out of Cincinnati. He was the 156th pick. Probably special teams, right? Helping yeah, special, the teams, special teams, and I think they view him, too, as in case this thing doesn't work out with Dearness Johnson, you know, because he's, uh, what, they offered him a contract or whatever that's at. Um, they've got this guy. And remember, at one point last year, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt were hurt. So they, this guy's good on special teams. I saw a couple of Cincinnati games. He looked good to me. Why not? Yeah. And Cincinnati had a great draft. Uh, yeah. Really a landmark moment for landmark weekend for them. So, and by the way, you know, he had to have, I'm sorry, David, to, okay. on him too. He had to have been really um, good to be recruited by Alabama to begin with, because that's where he started. Then he found out there's a whole bunch of other guys that are really good there too. <laughs> Yep, that happens every year. So, yeah. All right, Terry, in the sixth round, Michael Woods, the second wide receiver out of Oklahoma. He was the second Oklahoma player that the Browns drafted, uh, 202nd overall. They like him as kind of a project um, wide receiver. Now we're getting into the real who knows category. I'm kind of falling off the ledge here on these guys. But uh, that's what I was told. But it's not that we're not talking David Bell. We're not talking about a guy that. I don't, you know, can he be the next uh, DPJ? Probably not. All right. And then in the seventh round, uh, 223 overall, Isaiah Thomas, defensive end from Oklahoma. He was the third Oklahoma player taken by the Browns. And another seventh rounder, Dawson Deaton, center out of Texas Tech. So we'll see. Well, the idea is to make the roster. Yeah, those are practice squad guys. 
Um, and a little bit like cornerbacks, defensive ends, let's pile them up, see if we could find one. All right. Uh, so Terry, let's get into this. So one of the things that we thought might happen and didn't is that Baker Mayfield is still on the roster and his $18.9 million contract. Uh, what do you see happening here? What do you think they should do? I guess is the first question I want to ask you in terms of managing this Mayfield situation. I was told they just didn't get nearly as close as people thought, um, on the, uh, Mayfield thing. And, you know, I began my column a little bit with how, um, the Browns really did anger a lot of people with the Watson contract around the NFL. And a lot of fans were, well, I don't care. What does it matter? Well, sometimes teams do do, do each other favors. And I will use a, a thing was where when the Browns worked out that deal with OBJ, remember they, they got him it was set up so he wouldn't get picked up on waivers. And they did that knowing, David, he would probably go to the Rams or a good team of that sort. It, it would help the player, but it also is going to help somebody like the Rams. And so there's always these kind of game within the game, or I always say behind the curtain is another curtain. And now the flip side is this, the Browns don't want to pay much of that contract than Baker. So these teams right now, especially around the draft are saying, forget it. I'm not, we're not bringing in $19 million. And then on top of it, you have a guy who's coming off a bad year, left shoulder surgery. And that interview with Mike, the rapper is not what you want to do. I mean, I, if you listen to that, I mean, some of us fine, but other parts are like, what are you talking about? Guys that uh, are playing just to get their pensions and it's hard to motivate them. I mean, that's your job as a quarterback. And I'm sure every single quarterback at some point has thought that. But, you know, in effect, every time now he speaks, it's like a job interview. Oh, for sure. And hey, you know what? Going on a on an, uh, podcast with Mike the Rapper is fine with me. <laughs> but like you, you know, you can. There's a lot of people that podcast, and there's a lot of great discussions going on out there. But I think what you're what you're really right in terms of what he said. One of the quotes that we got uh, that we pulled out of that: "How can I get the best out of people that are making a ton of money?" Baker said. <laughs> I could always so the, motivate people when we weren't making money. You get a pension after four years. How do you motivate people that are already at that point? And I think you mentioned this in your commentary, like as the quarterback and the face of the franchise, that's your job is yeah. to get people motivated to win. And Baker's always been, I'm a winner. I get people motivated. I was really surprised to hear that from that podcast that he, and then you, like you said, that's out there now. And the yeah, teams and are it, like, what the heck right. is this guy's head in the right place? Like if I'm the owner of Carolina or Seattle or I'm the GM, you sit there and you pop in the Mike the Rapper thing, or you have one of your people go through, say, all right, what's the best stuff and worst stuff he said on this? You know, David, you go on an interview for like 90 minutes, I think he was, or it's really long. What are the odds of saying something stupid really high? So what do you do from here, Terry? Let's say you're sitting in Andrew Barry's chair and you've got voluntary – OTA is coming up and then next month it's coming up really fast in June mandatory mini camp and Baker Mayfield has to be there for that or he's going to be getting fined yeah unless you uh, give him permission to stay home you can't so do that what do you, yeah so what do you do what do you do if you're Andrew Barry you obviously keep working the phones but what do you do if Baker Mayfield shows up this month next month I don't know how do you handle this well this month he, he won't because it's voluntary so next month I probably would tell him uh, look we're really trying to work and get make a deal for you um, you have our permission to stay home. And I would let 
the media know it, everything else. That Baker actually was interested in coming. Well, we're okay with him staying home because of what they call it. It's a fluid situation. You keep hearing that. And then that way, as opposed to because Baker shows up and then it's 15,000 questions about Baker. And I think that's just not what you want. Uh, and also you're trying to, you have three quarterbacks and, you know, so you have what Baker stand there as your fourth guy. I mean, it just is a bad situation. And at some point, somebody's going to want Baker and the Browns are going to have to pay a lot of money of that salary to make it happen. And that's, you just have to get there, um, you know, your mind mentally. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if they called Carolina tomorrow and said, okay, um, we'll pay 15 of the 19 million. How does this end, Terry? Is it going to be a release or is it going to be a trade? Trade. I'm absolutely sure there'll be a trade because even if you have to pay 16 or 17 million, you'd rather do that and and get something back than just allow this guy to uh, leave. It's kind of like what I just think that you want to protect, you know, protect that asset. But it is amazing how a year ago at this time, the discussion was whether you give him a long term extension to now, will he be released? I mean, you don't usually see a dramatic, even Sam Darnold and some of these other guys really struggled. That fall never came to them that way. All right. It's going to be an interesting couple of months here to see how that all goes down. And maybe now that the, the dust has settled from the draft, there'll be some time to work through a deal and we'll see what, where that goes. So, all right, Terry, I, before we take a break, let's talk real quickly. The NFL and the Browns announced this week that the Hugh Jackson claims that the Browns were trying to lose games on purpose. Um, they've been disproved and that kind of closes the book on this matter. Hugh kind of recanted it after he said it and it, it got a little weird. And now this has kind of all come to a conclusion. Uh, where do you stand on all this? I mean, the, 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 the question was, were you paid X amount of dollars to lose X amount of games? All these other things about bonuses for adding up, you know, giving draft, uh, piling up draft picks, young roster, all that. It may not, clearly they're tanking. But the real question was the Brian Forrest, when we're Forrest, said I was offered $100,000 for each loss. Was Hugh Jackson offered that? The answer is no. So therefore it goes away. That's the bottom line to this. And there's a huge difference, Terry, as, as you know, between a front office and a general manager trying to strip down yep. a roster accumulate draft picks, build for the future and come up with a long-term plan. There's a huge difference between that. And here's your roster go out on Sunday, but th don't try to win the game. I mean, that's a yeah. huge difference. One is a long-term approach and the team building. And the other one is trying to, you know, throw an individual game or whatever you want to call it. So I think Hugh stepped dangerously over that line with those accusations and the Browns have kind of been vindicated in terms of it was, yeah. it was the first and, one, not the second one. And, and unfortunately for, Hugh, the, the, the final piece of proof was in year three. They brought him back. They, they spent money. They drafted high. He went two, five, and one, replaced by Greg Williams, who will never be confused with Paul Brown, and Greg goes five and three. End the story. So much for tanking. So, yeah. All right, Terry, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk some Guardians. We'll talk a little Cavaliers. We've got a couple of Hey Terry questions, and we've got some Terry's trivia. So we'll come back. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking.
All right, we're back on Terry's Talk and David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, let's talk a little Guardians here. Before the season, you picked them to be 77 and 85, and they just got back from a weekend road trip. Well, it was a couple of days ago, but they've been rained out. 10 and 12. Mm-hmm. They're four games out in the AL Central behind the Twins, and they were supposed to play the Padres on Tuesday, which was yesterday, and take on Mike Clevenger. That game got pushed to today, a doubleheader. They're playing two in a row since the Padres have to get out of town. Um, State of the Guardians, Terry. Um, where do you stand with where things are at here with 10 and 12 record? I'm, I'm okay with it. I mean, it's, it's strange how they got there. You know, they, they, they either team sweep one way or the other. But if you really look at it, when they faced a couple of elite teams, uh, they got they got, got beat big time. The Angels have a loaded roster, you know, in terms of especially the lineup. And the Yankees are the Yankees. So they got crushed by them. I think that's seven of the 12 losses. Uh, they lost the first two at Kansas City. Remember, they split the first series. I think it was a four-game series, two to two at the Royals. Um, so they lost the two to Kansas City. And then after that, they, they, they pounded them. But So they won two against Kansas City. They swept Oakland, uh, who's really – you talk about tanking. They're in a major tanking thing over there. But it's legal tanking. You know, they're not asking their man, Kotze, to lose games. They're just saying, good luck with this roster, young man. Um, and then they also nicely took apart the White Sox who were having some problems. So that was um, that was the deal there. And I feel okay about it. You know, you look at a couple of things. Uh, you look at some young players. That's, remember, this is about sorting through the young players. Stephen Kwan, rookie of the month in April. Um, and... It's a shame he got hurt there for a while. I thought he was going to run into some trouble because after his fast start, David watched this in the, coming up. They've been busting him on fastballs right in on his fist. Not, not low. If he dropped drop it down around his knees, he's pulling it down the line, but right in on the fist. He, he had like a, about an 0 for 11 streak there, and that's what they were doing. But it looks to me like he's made some adjustments on that. Um, so he, you know, he's hitting Owen Miller, who I was on the Owen Miller train all last year. And boy, that would got to be a really rocky ride by the end of the year. I fell in love with him in spring training at a 21 and he's hitting well. And then you also have, I think the most underrated player on the team, um, is miles straw fans should love it. The guy signs an extension and climbs up the wall to challenge the Yankee fans when they're throwing <laughs> beer on his teammate. And it, believe me, he is a quiet guy because i spent quite a bit of time talking to him for a while uh, and pe- if people haven't read the uh profile i did of him in spring training just google it with my name i mean this is a guy who got cut from his high school team as a freshman ends up being like all conference he's playing in in bradenton florida really high level high school he has no college offers he walks on at a junior college in paletka florida plays two years there Finally, he gets drafted, I think, by the 12th round or something by that, by, by Houston, and signs. So he said, you know, the old thing, nothing given to him. And then he runs in all his outfields with the uh, Astros. And you see, I mean, he, he goes and gets everything in the outfield. He, he takes a bunch of pitches as a leadoff guy. And then you have Quan bat in second. And Jose, can you imagine if they had not signed Jose to the uh, contract extension? Oh. Player of the year in April right now, player, player of the month in April. And all the, oh, are they going to trade them? And all, that hanging over everything. Ugh. Yeah. So, all right. So, Terry, you've highlighted some of the good performers so far. Yeah. I, I want to delve into Fran Mil Reyes a little Ugh. bit here. So, 
he's batting 139 on base percentage is 171 sluggage slugging percentage 215 he struck out 38 times in 79 at bats and you've talked about how the guardians are really trying to become a team that puts the ball in play Mm -hmm. so i thought this was really interesting and i want to run it past you so tuesday yesterday the guardians are supposed to play in the padres and mike clevenger and they have fran mill reyes in the lineup that they announced for yesterday's game batting seventh at dh the game gets washed out. They move it to this afternoon. They're again going against Mike Clevenger. And Tito puts him out of the lineup against Clevenger and puts him into the second game uh, today. And they're going to play him in the outfield in the second game today. And I thought it was really curious. Same starting pitcher, one day apart. And this guy is supposed to be your cleanup hitter. And I'm just wondering what kind of message that sends to him, if any. Maybe it's not a big deal. But I thought it was interesting that you're trying to get this guy back on track and you're pulling him out of the lineup for one of the two games of a doubleheader. I don't know. Maybe I'm making too big of a deal of it. What did you think of it? He's not in the lineup for the first game today. I probably wouldn't have played him in the other game either because right now your guy is struggling. Clevenger, what's that sort of funky motion he has coming from the right-hand side and the way Fran Mills been chasing those pitches in the middle of the left-hand batter's box, you know, breaking away from him, not a good matchup. Sometimes – you, you tell a guy you really want to kind of get him against a better pitcher. So I think the other argument would be um, just take some time off and play some of these other guys. You, you have some choices here. You know, some of these other people are hitting. And so I, I, I was, would have been fine with it. I, it is odd. It was just strange. It was almost like he, maybe he went back and go, and probably wouldn't have a good idea to play him against Clevenger in the first place. You know, <laughs> right. so to get another game after that, we could just go, go in that direction. But you, you had Fran Mill, this is by far the worst slump he's ever had in the big leagues, you know, because of lack of contact. And then of course, Bobby Bradley, who they try to give the position to, and you go all the way back to spring training. He had 38 at bats. I wrote about this in spring training. I was alarmed by what it was seeing. Because if you don't hit in Arizona when you're a kid trying to make the team, the ball, the, the breaking balls don't. They flatten out. And you get the ball up in that high desert air, it does fly. You know, that was always, the, you know, the desert mirage you would hear. And he, he had one extra base hit in 38 at bats in spring training. And then you see what happened uh, here. It was just more that that's why they pulled the plug pretty quick on him. So those two guys, they were hoping when camp began would be kind of in that middle to, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth spots of the lineup to be some power and bang on nothing. Yeah. And they are lucky. They're getting a lot of production out of guys that you mentioned. Um, you know, Jimenez has been a, a pleasant yes. surprise and, and it, it, it it kind of has balanced out what Fran Mill has not been able to do. So anyway, we'll have to track that. You know, it's hurt him. I'm sorry, David, who also has hurt him. And I think he's going to come around though. It's Ahmed Rosario. He has not played well. Um, And I I really like Ahmed. I think he's a good player. I'd I'd love to, you know, I I still like the idea of him in the outfield just to play him out there and teach him not back and forth because uh, I want more defense at short. And maybe just maybe remember Jimenez was the key to the deal for uh, Lindor. It was not Ahmed. Ahmed was by kind of veteran protection because Jimenez came to the big leagues at the age of 21 back in the 220 season, the 20 season, and took the position away from Rosario in New York. Took over shortstop, hit over 260 as a 21-year-old in the big leagues. You know, last year he opened – April in Cleveland, as Tito would say, 
A lot of things went wrong for him. He went back to the minors, started to hit, came back, looked a little better. And, you know, now he, I tell you, now he's another guy. He started hitting in spring training, and he hasn't stopped. And if you look back, like, his September through now, I think he's, like, over a 300 hitter and, like, over 100 big league at bats now. I'm not saying he's going to be that, but they might have gotten something there with this guy. So he's got to play, whether it's second or short. All right. Uh, Terry, I wanted to mention before we move on here, uh, Gabriel Arias, who a lot of Guardians fans are really eager to see. Uh, He has a fracture in his right hand. I think it's the fifth metacarpal bone. Uh, And so he's going to be out several weeks. He's on the IL and it looks like they're going to have to rehab that injury. So his season, not off to a great start. And and on top of that too, you know, he's a shortstop. So it's not like you just pad it up and swing the bat four times a game. You need him. That's too bad. He, he looks to me like he has a chance to be a, a big time player. I, I, you know, even a little things, what I, what I've liked about some of the younger players now, you know, Miller, Quant, Palacios, uh, Straw, they don't strike out all the time. You know, even Jose is, I think, even doing better at making more contact. Thank goodness for that, because uh, it drives me nuts when it's like a little league game sometimes in the big leagues. It's walks and strikeouts. I mean, it just the pro. I mean, yes, the length of games is a problem to an extent, but the length of games without balls in play is an alarming problem. Yeah, and as we said, you're seeing the Guardians move in that direction. So, yeah. All right, Terry. Um, Terry, let's move on to the Cavaliers. Next thing on their calendar is the draft lottery, which is going to be on May 17th, and they hold the 14th position in that. So the chances of them moving up into the top five are not good. Uh, One of the things I want to run past you was what Kobe Altman was talking about during his postseason press conference about unlocking Isaac Okoro. And Chris Fedor, our colleague, has written about just the offensive struggles that Okoro's had. What do you want to see from him in terms of improving this offseason? And what do you think he could do to help the Cavs next year in terms of providing some scoring from that position? Well, let's start with the fact that, you know, he was 20 as a rookie and 21 as a second-year player. And I remember this even goes back to when I was covering the Cavaliers with Wayne Embry and Lenny Wilkins. And they would tell me that young players actually can improve their shooting at the um, – pro level. I mean, you're not going to go from uh, a guy like Isaiah Okoro to Darius Garland or Mark Price, but you can get better, especially if your your shot is not totally broken, that kind of stuff. Um, so he can get better, but the bottom line on Okoro, he is there to defend. And he, I think, is a really good partner in the backcourt with uh, Darius Garland when they have their full complement of front court players because Garland is not a good defensive player. He tries, but he's small. And this way, uh, Okoro can go after everybody there and he could give you a really good 25 minutes a game. Um, and I, I just happened to like him. Lamar Stevens, does the same thing. So, but you need him where when he's playing his 20 minutes, he can't just go one for three. I mean, you can't do that. He, he is athletic. He can drive to the rim. And he had a period of about six weeks where he actually shot over 40% from three-point range, primarily from the corner. So there's a yelping, a corner three and D guy. They talk about that. He can into that role. 
So he just needs to work on those things. He's a good guy. Um, and we just need to remember how the NBA is where these guys are just so young. I mean, Mark Price shot 41% as a rookie. It, it, it really is Larry Nance. I saw Larry Nance in college, just Serge Hella at Clemson. That's, I also saw Larry Nance Jr. in high school, but Larry Nance Sr., I was a young writer in Greensboro, North Carolina, and they didn't like, nobody liked to drive from Greensboro down to Clemson to cover games, but it was a big game between North Carolina and Clemson. That's why I got an ACC game, which was rare. And Larry Nance Sr. was in the game. And he was, I was, I noticed he was a uh, projected first round pick, but I'm watching, he's just running around dunking and defending. And he didn't look like at the foul line. It didn't look real good. He didn't look like he'd shoot at all. And by the end of Larry's career, especially after he was traded from Phoenix to Cleveland, he was a very good mid range, 12 to 15 foot shoot foot shooter. And he simply learned to do it. So I think there's a lot of hope for him there. But unlocking him doesn't mean turning him into a 15-point score. Well, yeah, and we saw the Cavs kind of get into a rhythm with him, as you mentioned, in terms of getting him that spot in the corner. But there's a lot more there that he can be doing in terms of some mid-range stuff. uh, And also just going to the rim. Yeah. Going to the rim. He is strong. And he is young. And and you're right. There's a lot of upside there. So, So going back to the draft, Terry, you know, we talked about that they need to find another veteran guard to take Mm -hmm. some of the load off. If it came down to it, let's say they stay 14th in the drafts, would you like to see them use that pick to get a veteran point guard if they had to, or would you rather see them keep that? It, it, you know what I'm saying? Is it, is it something that you'd be willing to give up the first round pick for to find someone to solve that problem? Kobe talked about giving these guys a long runway, this core that they have. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I'm asking is, do you think the core, the runway is such where they need to sacrifice now to get somebody to help this team get into the playoffs and make a deep run, or is it something where you'd like to hold that pick? Oh, I, I would be interested in moving the guy for a, and I, I don't know, for a Rubio-type point guard. You know, some fans want to bring Rubio back. I'm, a, I'm very guarded on that because it is the second ACL on the same knee that he had. Um, but, boy, you know, the what, what he showed when they were together. And I've had some fans, well, they were 20 and 14 when he was there, and I'm like, wait a minute, they had won 11 of their last 14 games when he got hurt. They were really coming together. And he did set, he took that um, pressure off of Darius a lot. You would, second half, Darius played 38 minutes a game after the All-Star break. 38 minutes, too much. You're going to kill this kid. I mean, it's not that he's there. He's just small. They get beat up. That's where I go back to that. So they need another point guard. But I'd want that guy, David, to have a couple of years on the contract. I don't want to just trade that pick for uh, a guy that's only going to be here a year. No, it would have to. And I it would have to be a guy who's got a couple of years left. Some control. So that, yeah. Some control so that you could build around him. Um, and that was it. The interesting thing is what do you, you have? Uh, in my mind, you have Levert and you have Sexton with sort of the same role, you know, a score off the bench. And I, I just don't know how that plays out. You know, Levert's on the last year of his contract. Sexton, I would probably give him a qualifying one-year offer uh, with the understanding, and this is what you are. You are a score off the bench. I do not want to see a return to Sexton and Dar- Garland in the back court you can't be a defensive oriented team and have those guys playing 25 to 30 minutes together it's just they're too small they don't defend so this is why you know i think okoro and and i'm also throwing stevens in that mix too i like having them 
you know, at least half of the game or whatever playing next to Darius. But if you could get a, another card like that's even a six, three category. And remember Rubio wasn't great defensively, but he was okay. And he brought so much experience on the other end of it. Um, yeah, I have some people say, Didn't well, you're turn the ball over. Yeah. No. And you know, periodically you go for 20 points. I mean, he could do it. So, and he didn't stop the offense. That was the problem with both of those kids, Levert and with Sexton. They do stop the offense. Now coming off the bench, uh, that's not as big a problem. All right. And, you know, as the weeks go on here, Terry, uh, Chris Fedor, our colleague, had some really interesting free agent options that wouldn't cost mm-hmm. the Cavs anything. And uh, we can delve into those as we go along here as we get into the into this late spring and summer. So uh, we'll see how that develops. So, all right, Terry, let's talk about your faith in UConn this week. It's Mother's Day weekend. And you asked for some Mother's Day stories on your Facebook page. And you got some really interesting ones. And I know you shared something about your um, your moms through the years. And why don't you talk about your column? It's going to be on cleveland.com Saturday morning and uh, in the plane dealer on Sunday. Yeah, that it was fun to do because I've just put it up on my Facebook page. In fact, you could go, it's a, it's, it's a corporate one, which means anybody can, can access it. Um, you can go there and, and see. And well, last night they're climbing up to a hundred responses, but that doesn't count the people that have emailed me and everything else about their moms or their grandmothers or their aunts. Cause that's what I said. It's not just your biological mom. Who was your mom? I mean, one woman wrote in and said, um, there was problems at home and our third grade teacher adopted me and my sister, you know, and just uh, another person wrote in and said that, Every Mother's Day, I gave my father a Mother's Day card because he did both roles. Um, and so these and are a just cake, moving. I think, too, was yeah, part of cake. that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Papa Seed Cake. Uh, like. His yeah. favorite cake, yeah. His favorite cake. Um, people sent me pictures of their mom wearing, at, uh, one, one sent me a picture of her mom at, at the age of 90, her last, at that point, tribe game in 2010. Another one sent me a picture of their mom wearing a Jim Tomey jersey because that was her favorite. And at this point in their life, these women were elderly. Uh, I just love the stories. A lot of the faith column has survived and if you, I would say even thrived primarily because of the ideas I get from readers, the, the, the emails, people open their hearts to me with their stories. Um, there's no column like it in any major paper in the country. And those who get mad and think the point dealer is too liberal on the uh, uh, editorial page or whatever should keep in mind that there, I'm just telling you, with writing a column from a Judeo-Christian perspective about faith once a week, which is highlighted on the, on the front of the Metro section, the B section on Sunday is completely unprecedented. It goes totally against the cultural tide. And I'm not just saying this because I work for Chris Quinn at the point at the cleveland.com and, and now the point dealer both, but they not so much now, but in the past, they got a lot of pushback on that. And just like when I started at the Beacon Journal and they just, you know, they held firm on it. So good for them. And, and I just want uh, readers to recognize that part about it and keep sending me good stories. <laughs> well, happy mother's day to all the moms out there. And 
Hope you enjoyed. The weather looks like it might be pretty good on Sunday. So, but check that out this weekend. Terry's got some really great stories in there, all different kinds of people. And I remember the one Terry that just kind of hit me. Um, one of the moms that money was tight and she was bringing home diapers yeah. from other people's kids and washing them and folding them. At, she was a man, t-shirt. Ends meet. Yeah. She was a t-shirt and she would, the other teachers who had young kids and were, had trouble, she was bringing home and, and just clean the diapers, fold them all up and, uh, and, and take them in. Um, you know, another was a guy wrote in and said that his mom was, was disappointed when he dropped out of school when he was 21 and, but really didn't get on him. And then, um, when he, he finally graduated from Cleveland state at the age of 37 and she was lived long enough. She was on oxygen then having health problems, live long enough to see him do that. And, you know, he always felt that the way she handled that allowed him to think I can go back to school, you know, that. So it's my mother, um, my bio mom, Mary Pluto, who died one in, in 1984, when I was 29, uh, she was my big cheerleader. My dad, like set the example of hard work and all this. My mom was like, you're wonderful. You can do these things. She was the more of the creative one. Um, was always, she actually was the first author in the family. She wrote, she was teaching at Kaga, uh, Tri-C West, taught bowling in the phys ed department. There was no bowling textbook. She made up her own of like 25 pages and it was done on the old mimeograph machine with purple things. She would mimeograph it each semester for her kids. So they have a bowling textbook, a little bit of the history of it and that. So she's the first author in the family, not me. <laughs> A lot of great stories out there like that. So um, for, for people everywhere. So again, happy Mother's Day. All right, Terry, we got a couple of Hey Terry questions. We're running short on time here. We kind of talked about Cade York earlier. This question comes from Bob in Akron. And he says, hey, Terry, now that the Browns selected a kicker in Cade York in the draft, should Phil Dawson help him? Should Phil Dawson become the team's kicking coach? He could teach the young kicker and help him be successful kicking in Cleveland. What do you think, Terry? Well, Phil just Phil's took got a job. A job but yes, yes, as a new uh, head football coach, I think it's Hyde High School in Austin, Texas. So, and by the way, football in Texas, high school football, that's like a college job. So he is busy. But can Cade York call Phil Dawson? Can they look at films? Can they talk about stuff? Absolutely. They can do that. Um, I got a question, too, from a fan. So do the – uh, along the same lines, do the Browns have their kicker go down during the week and kick at First Energy Stadium? They do. I remember asking Phil about that. He said the problem is the wind on Wednesday and Thursday may not be the same with the wind on Sunday because it's sometimes the wind in the first half is not the same as the wind in the second half. But it is better than just all the time just kicking in Berea. For sure. And yeah, with when they reconfigured the stadium down there too, there's like a little slit in the stands yeah, now. And the, it's, it's even different than when Phil Dawson kicked. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't even imagine the math and the physics involved there. So, all right, here's another one, Terry. Uh, the second one. Hey, Terry, what is the hesitation in promoting Oscar Gonzalez for the Guardians? He's young, has power, makes contact, and he's controllable. That one's from Bob Kaplan. Yeah, it's an interesting. I've been more on, upbeat on him than the Guardians are. Um, he hardly walks. That's part of it. Um, yeah, real quick, Terry. I, I, he has two walks and 14 strikeouts in 99 at-bats, just to fill the, the, the stats in there. It's so an anyways. interesting thing, because you think if a guy strikes out only 14 times in 98 at-bats and hits for power, he would walk a lot. But this guy actually doesn't swing and miss a lot. He just he makes bad contact sometimes. 
the guardians i when i asked one they told me that there is a they feel a big gap almost bigger than in a long time between triple a and the big leagues when it comes to to pitching they think this guy could be pitched to but here's what i would tell oscar keep hitting home runs keep not striking out try to draw a few more walks your time will come because they just run through bobby bradley you know they're and he's primarily a dh outfielder um he might be a guy that comes up later but it's not like you know he he doesn't get a lot of uh action when you know Teams don't call about him. Other teams trying to trade for him. Uh, I didn't see enough of him in spring training to really draw a, a big opinion uh, on him other than the numbers are the numbers. And the guy hits a lot of home runs and he doesn't strike out a lot. And to dismiss that can make a, be a big problem. If nothing else, maybe he would be good against left-handed pitching, you know? So yeah, we'll see, but that's uh, it. I think right now they're running through Josh Naylor out there. You got straw. You got Quan, you know, maybe Rosario ends up playing some out there. They're, they're looking at different people first. And, and I understand, you know, in terms of where they are, Naylor is ahead of, of Gonzalez and Quan is ahead of them. You know, straws established in center. So you want to, you know, look at those guys for now. You know, Mercado, the thing is Mercado's good defensively. See, that's, that's what he is. He's, he's in for a little bit of power. Um, he's still, I think, barely hitting 200, but at least it's, it's, it's a harder 200 than what it was. But this is a long year coming up, and they're going to be sorting through the guys. So, Oscar, do not lose heart. I, I saw a tape of him the other day. There was an outside pitch, and he just seemed to flick his wrist and hit a rocket right over the right field fence. I'm like, wow. I mean, huh. that, you know, I, I'm the old thing. I'm just saying it all went over the fence. I know he doesn't walk, but it was a rocket. Yeah, so 99 at bats, 23 RBI. Uh, he's batting 323, and he's got an OPS of 959. So someone to keep an eye on. Uh, and the Clippers are in first place, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. So, all right, hey, if you want to hit us with a Hey Terry question, you can email us at sports at cleveland.com, or you can hit Terry on his aforementioned Facebook page. So, all right, almost time to wrap up. we got a Terry's trivia question, Terry. I got a draft-related question for you that I was surprised by. Two of these colleges had one player draft drafted over the weekend, and one of these colleges had no players drafted. All right, you got that? So two of them had one player, mm-hmm. and one of them had no players. I want you to guess which one had no players. Appalachian State, Miami of Ohio, and Texas. I'm going to say Texas. You are correct. Because there's something going on down there that's really messed up. Appalachian State had one player, DeMarco Jackson, linebacker, taken in the fifth round by the Saints. And then Miami of Ohio, Dominique Robinson, defensive end from Canton McKinley. He went yeah, to the I Bears. Knew, I, knew, I knew the uh, Miami because of the Canton kids. So. And the Texas Longhorns had zero draft picks. I don't know if that's ever happened in my lifetime where they had Boy. zero players drafted. But things are probably going to turn around. They got Quinn Ewers in from Ohio State. I'm sure this will be the last time we'll see that but I was just really struck by that. All I know is they, they, they've run through some coaches there. So, um, well, Phil, Phil Dawson kicked for him. Maybe he could straighten those guys out too. There you go. All right, Terry, thanks for making time this week. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, have a wonderful Mother's Day. And, and again, I think the weather looks pretty good. It should be a, a wonderful weekend. And we'll catch you next week on Terry's Talk.